Wonderful. Uh, for those of you that don't know yet, but we are working our way through the book of John. And uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He is the one of the Gospels that start off very specifically teaching doctrine. The first three Gospels, Synoptic Gospels, they teach very much the history of everything that took place as it developed. Jesus was in this town and then He healed this person and then He went there and then He met this person and then He spoke to this one. And uh, <clears throat> so they really talk about the whole story of Jesus from His birth. But John... He starts right off the bat, and he starts with theology. In the beginning was the Word. Logos, logic. God's Word, which is God communicating His thoughts, God communicating His desires, God communicating His will, God communicating His plan, God communicating His strategy, was the Word, the Logos, the logic of God. When you communicate, what do you use? Words, right? And when God communicates, He uses His words. It's one and the same as God. And, and in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In other words, pre-existing the creation, there He is. Coexisting with God the Father. Existing as God Himself. And then that Word transformed into flesh. In other words, the Creator of all creation entered His creation and became part of His creation and humbled Himself and identified with sinners. How? In baptism. What is baptism all about? Baptism is me repenting of my sin, dying to myself, dying to the world, getting buried in that water grave with Christ, in Christ, and after I die to myself and buried in that grave, I come up out of that water grave alive unto God. Amen? So here's Jesus, and He does the same thing. He actually goes through baptism, the very act of identifying with sinful man. It's an amazing thing how, how Jesus humbled Himself from who He was, pre-existing the creation, coexisting with God, God Himself, or existing as God, becomes man and identifies with man even in baptism. And so today, we're going to continue in John chapter 1, verse 19 through 34, as Han read to us. But I'd like, to ask, I'd like for us to first ask the question, who was John the Baptist? Who was he? And what can we learn from the person of John? Because oftentimes what we do is we jump so deep into theology and we don't put feet to our thoughts, and we become, uh, we only have a bunch of head knowledge, right? And that can become, that can puff up, right? But we have to actually put feet to those thoughts, and we have to walk it out, submit ourselves to the Scriptures. Submitting ourselves to Scriptures, to the Word, is submitting ourselves to God. He is the Word. My son only submits himself to me when he submits himself to my Word. I only submit myself to God when I submit to His Word. When my son honors my word, he is honoring me. When my daughter honors my words, my commands, my statements, my requirements, my requests, when they honor that, they are honoring me. When you and I honor God's Word, His commands, His directives, then we are honoring Him. Very oftentimes, 
People honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. This is what He said, and He judged them for that. How can I honor God with my lips, but have my heart far from Him? Is when I can worship Him and I can speak great things about Him, but I live my life as I wish, completely ignoring the Word of God. So we wanted to not become heady about this without putting feet to our thoughts, but we want to submit ourselves to what has been said here. So we want to look at this person that God called John. Who is he and what can we learn from him? Well, most people today have heard of John the Baptist. He's a huge figure. Not just in the church, but also outside the church, right? Everybody can tell you about John the Baptist, one of the most prominent figures in the Bible. And John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, many prophets. But he was the prophet that broke the 400 years of silence between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, where Jesus was born, the first book of the New Testament. John is the prophet that, that's the transition between the 400 years of silence into the New Covenant. As a matter of fact, 700 years before John was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about him in, his, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, that John the Baptist was going to call everybody to get ready for a coming Messiah, for the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 says, The voice of one calling out. The voice of one calling out. I always used to think of how, why it says the voice of one. Because there weren't two. <laughs> There's only one. He was in a desert, one person by himself, alone. That's what it's saying. The voice of one, alone, by himself, standing there, calling out. Other translations say, crying forth, calling, crying, and shouting. Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Clear the way of the Lord. Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You see, the way he was going to prepare the people who was going to be uh, um, coming to Christ was by preaching repentance and baptism to them. And this is important. They were getting ready to receive the Messiah. How? by John's preaching of repentance and baptism. The message of repentance and baptism was going to cause their hearts to turn away from sin and to turn to God. Now, John's birth was a miracle. I think David's a little cold in here, sorry. John's birth was a miracle. His father, Zechariah, and his mother, Elizabeth, were already told... Um, that they can't have children because they were too old, right? So here's Zechariah. He's actually a priest, and his wife Elizabeth. And uh, in that day, if you didn't have a child because her womb was barren, it was scandalous in a way. It was a shame to her. And since they were too already too old, they, they just kind of settled with the idea that they would never have a child. But an angel came and visited Zechariah and told him that him and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son. This is in John chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. And the angel said this. The angel says this to Zechariah. The son, John, will be great in the sight of God. He'd be a great man. 
He says that this young boy, John, that your wife will carry, will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is still in her womb. That's why it's very important to understand life doesn't start after birth. Life is at conception. Then the angel said, He will turn many Israelites back to God. That's what He will be doing, His purpose. He will be the forerunner before the Messiah. And He will prepare the people and make them ready to receive this coming Messiah. And John's mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, were sisters. And that means John and Jesus were, in fact, cousins. And it is probable that uh, they grew up together and um, played together in the sand. And scriptures tell us <clears throat> that when a pregnant Mary went to visit a pregnant Elizabeth, John, that was in Elizabeth's womb at the time, leaped for joy when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice. Just the response. He was already filled with the Holy Spirit, and he already leaped when Jesus came in. while before he was born. It's an amazing thing. Now, as an adult, John lived a rugged life in a semi-desert, in a mountainous area. He wore clothes made of camel hair with leather belts and, and around his waist. And he was, a, he was like a typically garbed up as a prophet. And um, his diet was simple, locusts and wild honey. And John lived a focused life as his aim stayed on the kingdom of God. He wasn't entangled in the world. Uh, he was completely given to the purpose and calling and kingdom of God. Now, John the Baptist was a very fearless man. As a matter of fact, I can't wait to meet him one day. <laughs> I'm sure that every, every time we look at a Bible character, whether it be David or Samson or anybody, we just can't wait to meet them, Paul and all of the above. But John the Baptist was a very fearless man because he feared God. He had no purpose other than the kingdom of God. And that's why he was fearless. Because we get entangled in the things of the world and we have so many other purposes, we start fearing man because they can influence those purposes. But if we have no purposes other than God, it actually wouldn't matter what man thought or said about us or did to us. When the religious came to see how People were flooding to the Jordan to be baptized by John, this prophet in the wilderness. They watched and they were intrigued. They had many questions, but they themselves would never get baptized. They just stood there on the sideline watching John baptize everybody. And these guys were, of course, very jealous how people started following John because they themselves wanted to be followed. But the reason that the religious didn't get baptized was because baptism is a sign of repentance. And to repent means you're admitting and acknowledging that you have sin you're repenting from. And these guys, these religious leaders, always pretended like they were sinless. And so there was no way they were going to go into those, those waters of baptism. You see... Today, people get baptized because they wanted to, to serve as a seal for their salvation. It really isn't a seal for your salvation. It is just you 
uh, proving to the world or telling the world that you have already been saved. The Bible says in Ephesians that it's the Holy Ghost that seals you for the day of redemption. The Holy Ghost is your seal of salvation. You see, this ring doesn't make me married. It only tells you, it's me showing the world that I am married, right? Baptism is the same thing. It's the act of you saying, hey, I have repented of my sin. I've turned away from my sin and I'm turning to God. And I'm showing the world that I'm doing this. I'm submitting myself to Him instead. So baptism is an outward sign of an inward work that God has done in a person's life. So here are these people refusing to repent, refusing to turn, pretending like they don't need to, and they were filled with pride, unable to admit, admit their sins, and then look at how John furiously calls them out as they stood on the banks of the river staring at what he was doing. Matthew 3, verse 7, it says, But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, <coughs> he denounced them. He said, You brood of snakes! He exclaimed, Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Then he says this powerful statement. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are saved for we descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children out of Abraham or of Abraham from the very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised. The axe of God's judgment is poised. He's about to strike, ready to sever the very roots of that tree. I go like, what tree? Well, he explains it in that next verse. He says, every tree that does not produce good fruit, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Why? Because the tree that is not, that is not, the branch that is not in Christ cannot produce fruit. In other words, if there is no repentance, true repentance, in a person's life, that axe is poised, ready to chop that tree down by the roots. Because only true repentance is real repentance before God. So John's preaching couldn't be clearer right here. This is very important for us to understand. Because he's saying faith in God and in the Messiah is preceded and followed by what? Repentance. He said to them, prove you truly repented by living a life of repentance. When you come to Christ, you go, I repent, I turn to you. I turn away from myself and I turn to you. I turn from my sin, I turn from the world and I turn to you. Now, that didn't happen one time when you prayed that prayer called the sinner's prayer. You see, that's not just, oh, yeah, I got saved in 1972 and once saved, always saved. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to live my life. That's not how this works. John was saying, prove it. Because faith in Christ is preceded and followed by repentance. When you repent, you've chosen to live a life of repentance. Now at the time, so here's John saying, hey, you brood of vipers, you liars. You say that you've turned to God. You have not. Your lives prove that you have not. 
Point taken. John's preaching couldn't be clearer. But at the time of John, the king that was in power was King Herod. Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. And again, John couldn't help himself but to call everybody to repentance. It didn't matter who they were. <laughs> John, he, you know, that was his purpose. And that's so he was fulfilling his purpose and he even called the king to repentance. And he did it publicly. He rebuked King Herod Antipas because King Herod went to meet his brother in his brother's castle, saw his brother's wife, fell in love with her. She fell in love with him. They both concocted this idea. They were both going to divorce each divorce their spouses, and they were going to get married. And so she divorced Herod's brother. Herod divorced his wife, and he took her as his wife. Her name was Herodias. We find this in um, Luke 3, verse 19. It says, John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife. And then it says, for many other wrongs he had done. <laughs> so here's John publicly saying, Herod! Sorry, everybody. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Repent. Repent for divorcing your wife. Repent for marrying your brother's wife. And then repent for all these things. And he brings out a list. These things. <laughs> he was a fearless man. This, of course, infuriated his wife, the king's wife, to the point where she had, uh, you know, she had a bone to pick with John the Baptist. She was real bitter towards him and hated him. And one night at a party, the king was sitting and his now wife, Herodias' younger daughter, comes and she starts dancing in front of the king. The king was so taken by her. He calls her over and he promises her and he says, whatever you ask, you will have it. Up to half my kingdom, I will give it to you. Anything you want. He was so taken by this beautiful young girl. Well, she didn't know what to say. And she goes to her mom, Herodias, who hated John the Baptist. And she goes to her mom and she says, what should I ask for? And this evil woman, this mother, says to her, ask him for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Behead him. So she goes and she asks the king. And the king, of course, he made this public knowledge that he offered this to this young girl. And so he had to go ahead and decapitate behead John the Baptist the very final prophet of the Old Testament so with this backstory in mind let's now look at our passage of scriptures for today and see how we can learn from this man John the Baptist that God has sent this great man as a matter of fact Jesus said there was no one as great as this ever been born of a woman this is a great man and then he says but those in the kingdom John the Baptist will be the least of even them because Jesus comes to qualify them. It's an amazing thing. John 1 verse 19, it says, This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. And this is what he confessed. I am not the Christ. And they said to, they said to, they, and they asked him, 
What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Tell us, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he replied, and he said this, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. You see, what's interesting to me is how John was so clear-headed about who he was and clear-headed about who he was not that finding his purpose was no problem to him. He knew God so well that he had no problem identifying who he was. The pe a person who cannot find themselves is a person who does not know God. Because it's in knowing God that we know self. Isn't that true? It's when I see the Creator, I know that I am the creature. When I see His holiness, I recognize my sin. When I know how righteous He is, in light of His righteousness, I recognize my unrighteousness. When I see His standards, I, I identify my need for salvation. You see, when I understand who He is, I recognize myself. And, and John knew God so well, he had no problem pointing out his own purpose. He, knew, he was so clear-headed about who he was and who he was not. He was not the Christ. He was not Elijah. He was a lonely voice crying in the wilderness. John was clear about what he was to do, which was to baptize and, rep and, and, and preach repentance. John was clear about his purpose which was to make the way of the Lord straight. To prepare a way for the Lord by preparing people's hearts. I don't know about you, but it's so refreshing meeting somebody who's clear-headed. <laughs> meeting somebody with depth and somebody who's mature. Verse 24. And the messengers had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me of whom I am not worthy even to untie the straps of his sandal. I am not worthy even to untie the straps of his sandal. You see, John's language here shows humility of heart and humility of mind. First, we see John is very clear-headed clear about who he is, who he's not, and what he's called to do. He's very clear-headed. He's not looking for other things in life. He's not running from one thing to the next thing, trying this, trying that, uh, hobnobbing here, hobnobbing there. He's not, he's not like that at all. I mean, I can only imagine meeting John. He must be one of the most refreshing people you would ever have met because he was so mature it's almost like he needed no one. And here, secondly, we now see John, John's humility of mind and humility of heart, saying, I'm not, even un I'm not worthy to even untie the straps of his sandal. You see, in those days, it was, it was the responsibility of the slave to untie his master's shoes at the end of the day and then wash his master's feet. Here John is saying that he's not worthy even of being Jesus' servant or Jesus' slave. One of the main characteristics of John the Baptist is his humility. 
He says, I'm not worthy. I cannot baptize Jesus. Think about it. He grew up with Jesus. Verse 28. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing people. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He in behalf of whom I said, After me is coming a man who has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. Verse 31, And I did not recognize him. And I did not recognize him, but so that he would be revealed to Israel. I came baptizing in water. Okay, so here, this is so important. But I did not recognize him. John's confessing something here. Even though they grew up at the same time, in the same area, in the same family, and probably played together as kids, he did not know his own cousin Jesus was the Messiah. Here John is not the know-it-all, but he is the one who's teachable. He's the one who's able to change. He's the one who's able to go like, I didn't know. Wow. I didn't know that. In today's culture, we see something very different. We see people able to project, but never able to receive. Think about it this way. A radio has has a uh, transmitter, right? There's a, there's, there's a tower where it transmits a, single, a signal, but then the radio has uh, also a receiver. And that's been changed around. People no longer receive anything. They just transmit themselves all the time, whether it be on social media. Or any, they just keep on transmitting who they are. It's an interesting thing. I've always liked school uniforms and because the thinking behind school uniforms being uniform is the fact that everybody goes to school no matter how poor or rich you are with the same outfit everybody tie your hair back boys cut your hair short I almost got expelled in high school because <laughs> my sister tried she wanted to try peroxide on my hair well she did try peroxide on my hair <laughs> And uh, it, I couldn't get the color out. So I went to school after vacation, and the principal called me in. He said, if your hair is not black tomorrow, you're done. Literally. I mean, our schools were in South Africa at the time were real strict. And, uh, yep, I had no money for, like, getting my hair re-dyed or anything. But I did have shoe polish and a shoe brush. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating the story, but... Since then, every morning, I brushed my hair with my shoe brush, <laughs> with black polish. So the next day, I went to the principal. He looks at my hair, and I remember we called him Sniffles because he always used to go, let me see your hair, son. <laughs> and I walked into his office. He touched my hair, and he goes, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he says, you tried hard enough, good enough for me, because his hands were full of black polish when he touched my hair. Here John confesses something that he didn't know something. Like he's, he's teachable. He can, he can be taught. He can learn stuff. He's not just there trying to teach everyone and trying to project himself. You see, like in, in school now, people dress 
and their Nirvana shirts and everything, they, they're projecting who they are. And that is not the best way to learn. If you're in the mindset of, I'm going to school to project, you're not, you're not going there to learn, right? And that's why I actually told you the story about, excuse me, it wasn't in my notes, I just thought I'll go there. But it's important for you and I to have the heart attitude of, God, I am here to receive from you. I'm not here to just project what I believe. I'm here to open up the scriptures and receive from you. So here's John saying, I didn't know my cousin Jesus was the Messiah. He's not a know-it-all. He's teachable. So many people go to Bible studies and church services and simply open up their Bibles, yet they have no interest in learning anything from Scripture. They are only interested in being affirmed by Scriptures in what they already believe. Only tell me what I already believe. Don't tell me anything new. That's not why I'm here. Because it doesn't make me feel good. It only makes me feel good when you affirm what I already believe. I don't want anything new. I just want you to stand up here, teach week after week, stuff I already believe. You see, that is a sign of prideful ignorance. And John was the exact opposite. He was humble and teachable. Verse 32, And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water and said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And I myself have seen and I testify this is the Son of God. Think about what John had to go through in order to be that, testi- that, 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 that witness testifying of Jesus. You see, no matter how much the authorities were going to despise him for his testimony of Christ, ultimately, they're going to hate him for it and he'll be killed because of it. And for calling people to repent, especially the king. Yet he was going to continue fearlessly and faithfully being that witness that he was called to be. You see, his life was not about himself. It was about the eternal God who has now become flesh. So when I think of John, I don't know about you, you might think of John the Baptist and find something that's in Scripture very evident about him. But when I think of John the person, I think of a mature person in every way, just very mature. You see, John is not double-minded. John is not insecure. He's not looking to find himself. He can't be alone. He doesn't need all the support groups. He doesn't, he's not searching for a purpose. No, he is single-minded, convinced of his calling, confident of the message, rooted and established in his purpose. He is eternally minded and he's so on purpose. Living in a desert, untangled from the world, eternally minded. I'm not saying you have to be in a desert to be eternally minded. I'm saying you have to be untangled from the world in order to be eternally minded. He's free from the world, living in a desert, and he's doing this on purpose. He's purposely in front of the religious and political leaders of the day, fearlessly, completely humble, calling them to repentance. He knows exactly who he is, the one 
calling in the wilderness. He knows exactly what he's called to do, to preach repentance and baptism. It's always wonderful meeting somebody who's clear-minded on those issues. After considering this concept of maturity for a while, you know, I, I was also discussing it with some pastors. What is it to be mature? And I realize there are different interpretations of this word maturity, and I want you to zone in and follow this with me quick. Because some people <clears throat> measure maturity in time. They measure, when they measure maturity, their maturity, their spouse's maturity, or their children's maturity, they, they measure it in time. They say things like, my child is older in years now, and therefore uh, he or she is maturing beautifully. Others measure maturity in knowledge and, and being street, street smarts or having street smarts. They say things like, my child knows so much about life. He or she is therefore very mature. They know so much about life. Then there are those who measure maturity by accomplishments. They say things like, you know, oh, this person is so well accomplished. They've achieved so much. They've done so much. Graduated high school. They have scholarship to college. They're well celebrated in sports. They do so well. They excel and have become very influential in their circles, in their friendship circles and and uh, getting ready to marry, and their life is coming together. And then they say this. They say they are doing really well for themselves. Uh, therefore, they are mature. You know, if you can do well for yourself, it's because you have matured. However, when you play those scenarios out in different ways, and you can get different examples of that, you will see that age, knowledge, accomplishments, and skills, these things don't don't add up to somebody being mature. I mean, you could just look at it like age. Many old people less mature than some of the younger people around them. Knowledge, many uneducated, more mature than some pretentious professor somewhere who knows a lot. Some people in the streets, a lot of street smarts, no maturity though. How about accomplishments and skills? I mean, you just have to point to a couple of rich and famous Hollywood stars. You'll see they're anything but mature. In other words, it's, not, it's got nothing to do with age. It, it has nothing to do with knowledge or street smarts or world, being worldly wise. It has nothing to do with accomplishments and skills. And these things are not good measuring devices when it comes to maturity. You see, the mature individual is the one, not with a well-developed set of gifts and skills, but the one with a well-developed character, like John. It's not the, uh, the one that has the pretentious know-it-all attitude, but the one with a selfless demeanor. I'm not worthy of tying even his shoes. The, the humble heart, the humble mind. So I know you will agree with me that very often the mature person is the person who has battled rejection all their life, but survived it and now on the other side of that. The person who's experienced great loss, even the loss of a loved one, 
but now are on the other side of that. They've, they've worked through the grief and they've worked through the hard times. The person who's been through a lesser degree of a Job experience, but now lives to tell of God's faithfulness. Like John can identify that is God in the flesh. And I have nothing but grasshoppers and honey. But I identify a good God when I see Him. Immaturity is the person that's on the other side saying, why, why? since I'm the one working for God, why am I the one with grasshoppers and honey only? <laughs> why am I the one living without a house in a desert? The entitled one. But here John is overwhelmed by the fact that God in the flesh has now walked up to him, asked him to baptize him. What about the person who has paid the price to prioritize scriptures over cultural influences? That's the price to be paid. I mean, if you think about it, scriptural you know, prioritizing scriptures over culture is a big deal. Prioritizing the value of God's will over the value of personal desires. Many people have so many desires for this world and ambitions, but to prioritize the, God's will, it's a sacrifice. It's a cost that people have to pay. Prioritizing time in God's word over the busyness of today's culture, today's hustle culture. It's a price to pay for anybody to actually get into the scriptures. It's a price to pay to be a student of the Word. Did you know that? All I know, we in our family, we've been talking about this. We're trying to carve out certain amount of time per day where we can all read. One of the reasons is because, you know, I need to read more. <laughs> and I need to study more. And I can't find the time to do it. Well, guess what? I'm going to have to sacrifice something, don't I? It might be TV, it might be something. But I have to sacrifice more in order to become a greater student of the Word. My point is just, we'd rather just hear from God by ourselves. I mean, that's easy. I'd just rather go by my emotion, man. That's just easy. You really want me to become literate? Biblically literate? That's That's rough. That's a lot of time. Figure the book of Deuteronomy. That's a lot of time. <laughs> the mature individual is the one who can live sacrificially for what he knows God values. So I have four signs of maturity, and I'll list them for you because I think this is important for us to know and learn from John. The first is that the mature person is teachable. The mature person is teachable. So for those listening on, this, on, the, on the podcast, I'm just writing this. Four signs of maturity. Excuse my, excuse my handwriting. But this is what needs to go well. This one right here. <laughs> Teachable. Teach able. Able to be taught. The second is, that's of course in comparison to being a know-it-all. The second is the mature person is a responsible person. 
The immature, immature person is entitled. The opposite of responsible is not necessarily irresponsible. The opposite of responsible is entitled. And so, let me just write that down. Why is that so? Because John, as he sits in prison, and he still concerns himself about the kingdom of God, the question he asks is, ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah. Is he the one who has come? He's still interested in the kingdom of God. He's not asking, hey, when are you getting me out? That's not what he's asking. You see, the opposite of responsibility is entitlement. And unfortunately, you know, this is kind of like the way in which we raise our kids today. They leave school thinking that everybody owes them something instead of having John the Baptist attitude, which would have been better. And then the third is that the mature person exercise, exercises delayed gratification, of course. The immature is very impulsive. They want instant gratification. You see, John did the hard thing here on earth because he knew that there would be rewards in heaven. So, I can only imagine when John, after all these days, all these decades and the 2,000 years between his voice that now still echoes, can you imagine just the amount of people who today are blessed in heaven because of that voice right there crying in the wilderness. The mature remains honest and truthful. Let me just first write delayed gratification. Number four is that he remains honest and truthful. This is so big to me for today because the immature often aborts truth for the sake of di diplomacy. Can you imagine what people would have thought about John the Baptist if he had to today get up in front of the rulers of the day and correct them over their private lives <laughs> the way John did? You know? And of course, then the Bible says and many more things other than just yeah. him marrying his brother's wife. But... but the mature person is the honest person. Honest at the expense of self versus always trying to be diplomatic in the sense of attempting to keep yourself out of the fray. And then fifthly, the mature person is the fruitful person. I see I have four signs. I want to give you an extra one. The mature person is the fruitful person. I don't know. The Lord surprised me. Um, you see, the mature person produces fruit. The immature person only consumes fruit. John's voice still echoes today. He's still bearing fruits today. But he was very clear that the axe is ready to chop off at the root the unfruitful. Think about it as a tree. When a tree matures is when the tree becomes fruitful, right? Fruit on a tree is a sign of the fact that that tree is now mature. And so, to me, the life of John the Baptist speaks of so many things.
that we can learn from and that we should learn from. And whenever I'm really distracted in life and when, you know, like when you feel like your mind is spinning and you got so much on your plate and you don't know where to turn and that's the time to go to John, go and read John, the story of John the Baptist and know that God has called you not to everything. God has called you not to everyone. God has called you not to do all things there is to still be done. No, God has called you to faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, today, as we look to your word, we thank you so much for speaking to us through this person, John the Baptist. He is, he is the prophet you've called to still minister to us. His voice still echoes today. Repent and be baptized. Turn from self to God. Turn from this world. Turn from sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And as we, Father God, are called to give ourselves and die in baptism in order to live in Christ. We thank you for that opportunity that we have had, Father God, to go through the waters of baptism, to be a testimony and an expression to the world of what you have done on the inside of our hearts in Jesus' name. And while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you are saying, Jacques, I need to make right with God, I am distant from God, and... Um, I need to come back to God. Or maybe you've never come to God. And this is the time for you to do so. Then I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, pray a prayer, come forward, or sign a card. What I am going to ask you to do is to put a stake in the ground today and say, Today, I'm making a decision. Today, I'm going to start seeking and seeking until I find. I'm going to start knocking and knocking until the door opens. I'm going, to I'm, I'm going to start asking and asking until I receive an answer from God. You see, those are the ones who are coming to God.